Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. Today we start episode 9, which we will be reading chapters 17 and 18. Now, in the previous chapters, Percy, Annabeth, Grover, and Clarice all faced a cyclops named Polyphemus, and thankfully they got out without getting serious damage on themselves. And now we will read chapter 17. We get a surprise on Miami Beach. Percy, wake up. Salt water splashed on my face. Annabeth was shaking my shoulder. In the distance, the sun was setting behind a city skyline. I could see a beachside highway lined with palm trees, storefronts glowing with red and blue neon, a harbor filled with sailboats and cruise ships. Miami, I think, Annabeth said. But the hippocampi are acting funny. Sure enough, our fishy's friends had slowed down and were whinnying and swimming in the circles, sniffing the water. They didn't look happy. One of them sneezed. I could tell what they were thinking. This is as far as they'll take us, I said. Too many humans, too much pollution. We'll have to swim to shore on our own. None of us was very psyched about that, but we thanked Rainbow and his friends for the ride. Tyson cried a little. He unfastened the makeshift saddle pack he'd made, which contained his toolkit and a couple of other things he'd salvaged from the Birmingham wreck. He hugged Rainbow around the neck, gave him a soggy mango he picked up on the island, and said goodbye. Once the hippocampi's white manes disappeared into the sea, we swam for shore. The waves pushed us forward, and in no time, we were back in the mortal world. We wandered along the cruise line docks, pushing through crowds of people arriving for vacations. Porters bustled around with carts of luggage. Taxi drivers yelled, yelled at each other in Spanish and tried to cut in line for customers. If anybody noticed us, five kids dripping wet and looked like they just had a fight with the monster. They didn't let on. Now that we were back among mortals, Tyson's single eye had blurred from the mist. Grover had put on his cap and sneakers. Even the fleece had transformed from a sheepskin to a red and gold high school leather jacket with a large glittery omega on the pocket. Annabeth ran to the nearest newspaper box and checked the date on the Miami Herald. She cursed, June 18th, we've been away from camp for 10 days. That's impossible, Clarice said. But I knew it wasn't. Time traveled differently in monstrous places. Dahlia's tree must almost be must be almost dead. Grover wailed. We have to get the fleece back tonight. Clarice slumped down on the pavement. How are we supposed to do that? Her voice trembled. We're a hundred miles away. No money, no ride. This is just like the oracle, oracle said. It's your fault, Jackson. If you hadn't interfered, Percy's fault. Ambit exploded. Clarice, how can you say that? You're the biggest... Stop it, I said. Clarice put her head in hands. Annabeth stomped her foot in frustration. The thing was, I'd almost forgotten this quest was supposed to be Clarice's. For a scary moment, I saw things from her point of view. How would I feel if a bunch of other heroes had butted in and made me look bad? I thought about what I'd overheard in the boiler room of the CSS Birmingham. Ares yelling at Clarice, warning that she'd better not fail. Ares couldn't care less about the camp, but if Clarice made him look bad... Clarice, I said, what did the oracle tell you exactly? She looked up. I thought she was going to tell me off, but instead she took a deep breath and recited her prophecy. You shall sail the iron ship with warriors of bone. You shall find what you seek and make it your own. 
But despair for your life, entombed with stone, and fail without friends to fly home alone. Ouch, Grover mumbled. No, I said. No, wait a minute, I got it. I searched my pockets for money and found nothing but a golden drachma. Does anybody have any cash? Ambeth and Grover shook their heads, morosely. Clarice pulled a wet confederate dollar from her pocket and sighed. Cash? Tyson asked hesitantly. Like, green paper? I looked at him. Yeah. Like the kind in duffel bags? Yeah, but we lost those bags days ago. I started to a halt as Tyson rummaged in his saddle pack and pulled out the Ziploc bag full of cash that Hermes had included in our supplies. Tyson! I said, how did you... Thought it was a feed bag for Rainbow, he said. Found it floating in sea, but only paper inside. Sorry. He handed me the cash. Fives and tens? At least three hundred dollars. I ran to the curb and grabbed a taxi that was just letting out a family of cruise passengers. Clarice! I yelled. Come on, you're going to the airport. Ambit, give her the fleece. I'm not sure which of them looked more stunned as I took the fleece leather jacket from Annabeth, tucked the cash into its pocket, and put it in Clarice's arms. Clarice said, You'd let me? It's your quest, I said. We only have enough money for one flight. Besides, I can't travel by air. Zeus would blast me into a million pieces. That's what the prophecy meant. You'd fail without friends, meaning you'd need our help, but you'd have to fly home, alone. You have to get the fleece back safely. I could see her mind working, suspicious at first, wondering what trick I was playing, then finally deciding I meant what I said. She jumped in the cab. You can count on me. I won't fail. Not failing would be good. The cab peeled out in a cloud of exhaust. The fleece was on its way. Percy, Abbott said. That was so... Generous? Grover offered. Insane, Abbott corrected. You're betting the lives of everybody at camp that Clarice will get the fleece back safely back by tonight? It's her quest, I said. She deserves a chance. Percy is nice, Tyson said. Percy is too nice, Annabeth grumbled. But I couldn't help thinking that maybe, just maybe, she was a little impressed. I'd surprise her anyway, and that wasn't easy to do. Come on, I told my friends. Let's find another way home. That's when I turned and found a sword's point at my throat. Hey, cuz, said Luke. Welcome back to the States. His bear man thugs appeared on either side, either of side of us. One grabbed Annabeth and Grover by their t-shirt collars. The other tried to grab Tyson, but Tyson knocked him into a pile of luggage and roared at Luke. Percy, Luke said calmly, tell your giant to back down or I'll have Aureus bash your friend's heads together. Aureus grinned and raised Annabeth and Grover off the ground, kicking and screaming. What do you want, Luke? I growled. He smiled, the scar rippling on the side of his face. He gestured toward the end of the dock, and then and I noticed what should have been ob- obvious. The biggest boat in port was the Princess Andromeda. Why, Percy? Luke said. I want to extend my hospitality, of course. The bear twins herded us aboard the Princess Andromeda. They threw us down on the aft deck in front of a swimming pool with sparkling fountains that sprayed into the air. A dozen of Luke's assorted goons, snake people, Lashdragonians, demigods in battle armor, had gathered to watch us get some 
hospitality. And so the fleece, Luke mused, where is it? He looked us over, prodding my shirt with the tip of his sword, poking Grover's jeans. Hey, Grover yelled, that's a real goat for under there. Sorry, old friend, Luke smiled. Just give me the fleece and I'll leave you to return to your, ah, little nature quest. Blah! Grover protested. Some old friend. Maybe you didn't hear me. Luke's voice was dangerously calm. Where is the fleece? Not here, I said. I probably should have had told him, told him anything, but it felt good to throw the truth in his face. We sent it on ahead of us. You messed up. Luke's eyes narrowed. You're lying. Y- you couldn't have. His face reddened as a horrible possibility occurred to him. Clarice? I nodded. You trusted. You gave. Yeah. Agrius? The bear giant flinched. Yes? Get below and prepare my steed. Bring it to the deck. I need to fly to the Miami airport fast. But boss, do it! Luke screamed, or I'll feed you to the dracon. The bear man gulped and lumbered down the stairs. Luke paced in front of the swimming pool, cursing cursing in ancient Greek, gripping his sword so tight his knuckles turned white. The rest of Luke's crew looked uneasy. Maybe they'd never seen their boss so unhinged before. I started thinking, if I could use Luke's anger, get him to talk so everybody could hear how crazy his plans were. I looked at the swimming pool, at the fountain spraying mist into the air, making a rainbow in the sunset, and suddenly, I had an idea. You've been toying with us all along, I said. You wanted us to bring you the fleece and save you the trouble of getting it. Luke scowled. Of course, you idiot, and you messed everything up. Traitor! I dug my last golden gold drachma out of my pocket and threw it at Luke. As I expected, he dodged it easily. The coin sailed into the spray of rainbow-colored water. I hoped my prayer would be accepted in silence. I thought with all my heart, Oh, goddess, accept my offering. You tricked all of us! I yelled at Luke. Even Dionysus at Camp Half-Blood. Behind Luke, the fountain began to shimmer, but I needed everyone's attention on me, so I uncapped Riptide. Luke just sneered. This is no time for heroics, Percy. Drop your puny little sword, or I'll have you killed sooner rather than later. Who poisoned Thalia's tree, Luke? I did, of course, he snarled. I already told you that. I used Elder Python Venom straight from the depths of Tartarus. Sharon had nothing to do with it? Ha! You know he would never do that. The old fool wouldn't have the guts. You call it guts? Betraying your friends? Endangering the whole camp? Luke raised his sword. You don't understand half of it. I was gonna let you take the fleece once I was done with it. That made me hesitate. Why would he let me take the fleece? He must have been lying, but I couldn't afford to lose his attention. You are going to heal Kronos, I said. Yes, the fleece's magic would have sped his mending process by tenfold. But you haven't stopped us, Percy. You've only slowed us down a little. And so you poisoned the tree, you betrayed Thalia, you set us up, all to help Kronos destroy the gods. Luke gritted his teeth. 
You know that. Why do you keep asking me? Because I want everybody in the audience to hear you. What audience? Then his eyes narrowed. He looked behind him, and his goons did the same. They gasped and stumbled back. Above the pool, shimmering in the rainbow mist, was an iris message vision of Dionysus, Tantalus, and the whole camp in the dining pavilion. They sat in stunned silence, watching us. Well, said Dionysus dryly, some unplanned dinner entertainment. Mr. D, you heard him, I said. You all heard Luke. The poisoning of the tree wasn't Sharon's fault. Mr. D sighed. I suppose not. The iris message could be a trick, Tantalus suggested, but his attention was mostly on his cheeseburger, which he was trying to corner with both hands. I fear not, Mr. D said, looking with distaste at Tantalus. It appears I shall have to reinstate Sharon as activities director. I suppose I do miss the old horse's pinocchio games. Tantalus grabbed the cheeseburger. It didn't bolt away from him. He lifted it from the plate and stared at it in amazement, as if it were the largest diamond in the world. I got it, he cackled. We are no longer in need of your services, Tantalus, Mr. D announced. Tantalus looked stunned. What, but? You may return to the underworld. You are dismissed. No, but no! As he dissolved into the mist, his fingers clutched at the cheeseburger, trying to bring it to his mouth, but it was too late. He disappeared and the cheeseburger fell back onto its plate. The campers exploded into cheering. Luke bellowed with rage. He slashed his sword through the fountain and the iris message dissolved, but the deed was done. I was feeling pretty good about myself, until Luke turned and gave me a murderous look. Kronos was right, Percy. You're an unreliable weapon. You need to be replaced. Now, I wasn't sure what he meant, but I didn't have time to think about it. One of his men blew, blew a brass whistle and the deck doors flew open. A dozen more warriors poured out, making a circle around us, the brass tips of their spears bristling. Luke smiled at me. You'll never leave this boat alive. And that is the end of chapter 17. This is going to be a pretty interesting chapter, chapter 18, as we're going to see if Percy does get to escape Luke or not, or if something else will come in to twist the story once again. And don't worry, we will get to know about what happens to Percy in chapter 18 right, right after these ads. And we are back from the ads, and now we will read chapter 18, The Party Ponies Invade. One on one, I challenged Luke. What are you afraid of? Luke curled his lip. The soldiers who were about to kill us hesitated, waiting for his order. Before he could say anything, Agrius, the bear man, burst onto the deck leading a flying horse. It was the first pure black pegasus I'd ever seen, with wings like a giant raven. The Pegasus mare bucked and whinnied. I could understand her thoughts. She was calling Agrius and Luke some names so bad Sharon would have washed her muzzle out with saddle soap. Sir, Agrius called, dodging, dodging a Pegasus hoof. Your steed is ready. Luke kept his eyes on me. I told you last summer, Percy, he said. You can't bait me into a fight. And you keep avoiding one. 
I noticed. Scared your warriors will see you get whipped? Luke glanced at his man, and he saw I trapped him. If he backed down now, he would look weak. If he fought me, he'd lose valuable time chasing after Clarice. For my part, the best I could hope for was to distract him, giving my friends a chance to escape. If anybody could think of a plan to get them out out of there, Annabeth could. On the downside, I knew how good Luke was at sword fighting. I'll kill you quickly, he decided, and raised his weapon. Backbiter was a foot longer than my own sword. Its blade glinted with an evil gray and gold light where the human steel had been melded with celestial bronze. I could almost feel the blade fighting against himself like two opposing magnets bound together. I didn't know how the blade had been made, but I sensed a tragedy. Somebody had, someone had died in the process. Luke whistled to one of his men who threw him a round leather and bronze shield. He grinned at me wickedly. Luke, Annabeth said, at least give him a shield. Sorry, Annabeth, he said. You bring your own equipment to this party. The shield was a problem. Fighting two-handed with just a sword gives you more power, but fighting one-handed with a shield gives you better defense and versatility. There are more moves, more options, more ways to kill. I thought back to Sharon, who told me to stay at camp no matter what and learn to fight. Now I was going to pay for not listening to him. Luke lunged and almost killed me on the first try. His sword went under my arm, slashing through my shirt and grazing my ribs. I jumped back, then counterattacked with Riptide, but Luke slammed my blade away with his shield. My Percy, Luke chided, you're out of practice. He came at me again with a swipe to the head. I parried, returned with a thrust. He sidestepped easily. The cut on my ribs stung. My heart was racing. When Luke lunged again, I jumped backward into the swimming pool and felt a surge of strength. I spun underwater, creating a funnel cloud, and blasted out of the deep end straight at Luke's face. The force of of the water knocked him down, spluttering and blinded. But before I could strike, he rolled aside and was on his feet again. I attacked and sliced the edge of his shield, but that that didn't even faze him. He dropped to a crouch and jabbed at my legs. Suddenly, my thigh was on fire with a pain so intense I collapsed. My jeans were ripped above the knee. I was hurt, and I didn't know how badly. Luke hacked downward, and I rolled behind a deck chair. I tried to stand, but my leg wouldn't take the weight. Percy! Grover bleated. I rolled again as Luke's sword slashed the deck hair and chaff, metal pipes and all. I clawed toward the swimming pool, trying hard not to black out. I never make it. Luke knew it too. He advanced slowly, smiling. The edge of his sword was tinged with red. One thing I want you to watch before you die, Percy. He looked at the bear man, Aureus, who was still holding Annabeth and Grover by the necks. You can eat your dinner now, Aureus. Bon appetit. (laughs) The bear man lifted my friends and bared his teeth. That's when all Hades broke loose. Wish. A red-feathered arrow sprouted from Aureus's mouth. With a surprised look on his hairy face, he crumpled to the deck. Brother! Agrius wailed. He let the Pegasus reins go slack just long enough for the Black Steed to kick him in the head and fly away free over Miami Bay. For a split second, Luke's guards were too stunned to do anything except watch the bear twins' bodies dissolve in smoke. Then there was a wild chorus of war. Cries and war cries and hooves thundering against metal. A, th- a dozen centaurs charged out of the main stairwell. Ponies! 
Tyson cried with delight. My mind had trouble processing everything I saw. Sharon was among the crowd, but his relatives was almost nothing like him. They were centaurs with black Arabian stallion bodies, others with gold palomino coats, others with orange and white spots like paint horses. Some wore bright colored t-shirts with day glow letters that said party ponies, South Florida chapter. Some were armed with bows, some with baseball bats, some with paintball guns. One had his face painted like a Comanche warrior and was waving a large orange styrofoam hand, making a big number one. Another was bare-chested and painted entirely green. A third had googly eyeglasses with the eyeballs bouncing around on slinky coils, and one of those baseball caps with soda can and straw attachments on either side. They exploded onto the deck with such ferocity and color for that for a moment, even Luke was stunned. I couldn't tell whether they had come to celebrate or attack. Apparently both. As Luke was raising his sword to rally his troops, a centaur shot a custom-made arrow with a leather boxing glove on the end. It smacked Luke in the face and sent him crashing into the swimming pool. His warriors scattered. I couldn't blame them. Facing the hooves of a rearing stallion is scary enough, but when it's a centaur armed with a bow and whipping it up with a soda-drinking hat, even the bravest warrior would retreat. Come get some, yelled one of the party ponies. They let loose with their paintball guns. A wave of blue and yellow exploded against Luke's warriors, blinding them and splattering them from head to toe. They tried to run, only to slip and fall. Sharon galloped toward Annabeth and Grover, neatly plucked them off the deck, and deposited them on his back. I tried to get up, but my wounded leg still felt like it was on fire. Luke was crawling out of the pool. Attack, you fools! He ordered his troops. Somewhere down below deck, a large alarm bell thrummed. I knew any second we would be swamped by Luke's reinforcements. Already his warriors were getting over their surprise, coming at the centaurs with swords and spears drawn. Tyson slapped half a dozen of them aside, knocking them over the guardrail into Miami Bay, but more warriors were coming up the stairs. Withdraw, brethren, Sharon said. You won't get away with this horse, man, Luke shouted. He raised his sword, but it got smacked in the face with another boxing glove arrow and sat down hard in a deck chair. A Palomino centaur hoisted me on his back. Dude, get your big friend! Tyson! I yelled. Come on! Tyson dropped to the two warriors. He was about to tie into a knot and jogged after us. He jumped on the centaur's back. Dude! The centaur groaned, almost buckling under Tyson's weight. Do the words low-carb diet mean anything to you? Luke's warriors were organizing themselves into a phalanx. But by the time they were ready to advance, the centaurs had galloped to the edge of the deck and fearlessly jumped the guardrail, as if it were a steeplechase and not ten stories above the ground. I was sure we were going to die. We plummeted toward the decks, but the centaurs hit the asphalt with hardly a jolt and galloped off, whooping and yelling taunts at the Princess Andromeda as we raced into the streets of downtown Miami. I have no idea what the Miamians thought as we galloped by. Streets and buildings began to blur as the centaurs picked up speed. It felt as if space were compacting, as if each centaur step took us miles and miles. In no time, we'd left the city behind. We'd raced through marshy fields of high grass and ponds and stunted trees. Finally, we found ourselves in a trailer park at the edge of a lake. The trailers were all horse trailers, tricked out with televisions and mini refrigerators and mosquito netting. We were in a centaur camp. Dude, 
said a party pony as he unloaded his gear. Did you see that bear guy? He was all like, whoa, I have an arrow in my mouth. The centaur and the go- with the googly eyeglasses laughed. That was awesome, head slam. The two centaurs charged at each other full force and knocked heads, then went staggering off in different directions with crazy grins on their faces. Sharon sighed. He set Annabeth and Grover down on a picnic blanket next to me. I really wish my cousins wouldn't slam their heads together. They don't have the brain cells to spare. Sharon, I said, still stunned by the fact that he was here. You saved us. He gave me a dry smile. Well, now, I couldn't very well let you die, especially since you cleared my name. But how did you know we were here, where we were? Annabeth asked. Advanced planning, my dear. I figured you were washed up near Miami if you made it out of the Sea of Monsters alive. Almost everything strange washes up near Miami. Gee, thanks. Grover mumbled. Oh, gee, thanks, Grover mumbled. No, no, Sharon said. I I didn't mean... Oh, never mind. I'm, I am glad to see you, my young satire. The point is, I was able to eavesdrop on Percy's iris message and trace the single signal. Iris and I have been friends for centuries. I asked her alert me, el, to alert me to any important communications in this area. It then took no effort to convince my cousins to ride to your aid. As you see, centaurs can travel quite fast when we wish to. Distance for us is not the same as distance for humans. I looked over at the campfire, where three party ponies were teaching Tyson how to operate a paintball gun. I hoped they knew what they were getting into. So what now? I asked Sharon. We just let Luke sail away? He's got Kronos aboard that ship, or parts of him anyway. Sharon knelt, carefully folding his front legs underneath him. He opened the medicine pouch on his belt and started to treat my wounds. I'm afraid, Percy, that today has been something of a draw. We didn't have the strength of numbers to take that ship. Luke was not organized enough to pursue us. Nobody won. But we got the fleas, Ambit said. Clarice is on her way back to camp with her right now. Sharon nodded, though he still looked uneasy. You are all true heroes. And as soon as we get Percy fixed up, you must return to Half-Blood Hill. The centaur shall carry, carry you. You're coming too? I asked. Oh yes, Percy. I'll be relieved to get home. My brethren here simply do not appreciate dear Dean Martin's music. Besides, I must have some words with Mr. D. There's the rest of the summer to plan. So much training to do. And I want to see. I'm curious about the fleece. I didn't know exactly what he meant, but it made me get worried about what Luke had said. I was going to let you take the fleece once I was done with it. Had he just been lying? I learned with Kronos there's you, there was usually a plan within a plan. The Titan Lord wasn't called a crooked one for nothing. He had ways of getting people to do what he wanted without them ever realizing his true intentions. Over by the campfire, Tyson let loose with his paintball gun. A blue projectile splattered against one of the centaurs, hurling back him backward into the lake. The centaur came up grinning, covered in swamp muck and blue paint, and gave Tyson two thumbs up. Ambit. Sharon said, perhaps you and Grover would go supervise Tyson and my cousins before they uh, teach each other too many bad habits. Ambit met his eyes. Some kind of understanding passed between them. Sure, Sharon. Ambit said, come on, goat boy. But I don't like paintball. Yes, you do. She hoisted Grover to his hooves and, I, and led him off toward the campfire. Sharon finished bandaging my leg. Percy, I had a talk with Annabeth on the way here. I talk about the prophecy.
Uh-oh, I thought. It wasn't her fault, I said. I made her tell me. His eyes flickered with irritation. I was sure he was going to chew me out, but then his look turned to weariness. I suppose I could, I suppose I could, I could not expect to keep it a secret forever. So am I the one in the prophecy? Shran tucked his bandages back into his pouch. I wish I knew, Percy. You're not yet 16. For now, we must simply train you as best as we can and leave the future to the fates. The fates. I hadn't thought about those old ladies in a long time. But as soon as Sharon mentioned them, something clicked. That's what it meant, I said. Sharon frowned. That's what what meant. Last summer, the omen from the fates, when I saw them snip somebody's life string, I thought it meant I was going to die right away. But it's worse than that. It's got something to do with your prophecy. Did death they foretold? It's going to happen when I'm 16. Shran's tail whisked nervously in the, dra- in the grass. My boy, you can't be sure of that. We don't even know if the prophecy is about you. But there isn't any other half-blood child of the big three that we know of. And Kronos is rising. He's going to destroy Mount Olympus. He will try, Shran agreed. And Western civilization along with it. If we don't stop him, but we will stop him, you will not be alone in that fight. I knew he was trying to make me feel better. But I remembered what Annabeth had told me. It would come down to one hero, one decision that would save or destroy the West. And I felt sure the fates had been giving me some kind of warning about that. Something terrible was going to happen, either to me or to somebody I was close to. I'm just a kid, Sharon, I said miserably. What good is one lousy hero against something like Kronos? Sharon managed to smile. What good is one lousy hero? Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain said something like that to me once, just before he single-handedly changed the course of your civil war. He pulled an arrow from his quiver and turned the razor-sharp tip so it glinted in the firelight. Celestial bronze, Percy, an immortal weapon. What would happen if you shot this at a human? Nothing, I said. It would pass right through. That's right, he said. Humans don't exist on the same level as the immortals. They can't even be hurt by our weapons. But you, Percy, you are part god, part human. You live in both worlds. You can be harmed by both, and you can affect both. That's what makes heroes so special. You carry the hopes of humanity into the realm of the eternal. Monsters never die. They are reborn from the chaos and barbarism that is always bubbling underneath civilization the very stuff that makes chronos stronger they must be defeated again and again kept at bay heroes embody that struggle you fight the battles humanity must win every generation in order to stay human do you understand i i don't know you must try, Percy, because whether or not you are the child of the prophecy, Kronos thinks you might be, and after today, he will finally despair of turning you to his side. That is the only reason he hasn't killed you yet, and you know, as soon as he's sure he can't use you, he will destroy you. You talk like you know him. Sean purses lips. I do know him. I stared at him. I sometimes forgot just how old Sean was. Is that why Mr. D blamed you when the tree was poisoned? Why you said some people don't trust you? Indeed. But Shawan, I mean, come on. Why would they think you would ever betray the camp for Kronos? 
Sean's eyes were deep brown, full of thousands of years of sadness. Percy, remember your training. Remember your study of mythology. What is my connection to the Titan Lord? I tried to think, but I always got my mythology mixed up. Even now, when it was so real, so important to my own life, I had trouble keeping all the names and facts straight. I shook my head. You, uh, owe Kronos a favor or something? He spared your life? Percy, Shran said, his voice impossibly soft. The Titan Kronos is my father. Wow, that is the end of chapter 18. That was a really, really big plot twist. Knowing that Sharon has the Kron- has the Titan Lord as his father. Wow, that, that was a really, really interesting way to end chapter 18. But don't worry, next week we will read chapter 19 through 20 and figure out the rest on Sharon's backstory on, you know, how the Titan Lord is his father. And so, yeah. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.